let the church say amen. Amen. On this night. That is still a glorious night. But it's a night. That in Jesus' life. In the next 24 hours. He's going to go from eating to the cross. A whirlwind tour. He's given the final instructions to his people. And he's preparing them for his departure. But tonight I want to talk to you about a few things that even though they were talking about his departure and his instructions that were supposed to produce, he's still producing these things today. Even though we feel that we are better than what he did, even though we feel that there is no necessity for what he did, we have decided that we declare ourselves not able to do what Christ has done because we're not willing to duplicate what he has done. So in John chapter 13, I'm not going to read any particular scriptures. I want you to follow where we're going because each pericope of scripture has an overarching meaning to what God wants us to do. Tonight he, you may be seated, He's getting his people ready for him to do his work. He came on his own into the world. And he got his own people to do what he's ready to do. Even though we keep yelling these things that every, everybody is God, I notice ever since he called Abraham, he separated what was his people. He went on and got his disciples together as he prepared them for his last bit of night service of his public ministry that he's going to do. They're positioned in the upper room and Jesus is preparing his disciples for death as he gets ready to do his holy work. So the first thing that we should look in when we look at John chapter 13 in the first five verses is that Jesus is given a lesson in humility. That's a word that we don't want to hear today. That's a word that's not taught today. When I look at my school and my children that I have the gracious mercy to deal with every day, being humble is not taught, nor presented, or even demanded in their lives. Pride is the absolute ultimate thing that we they want to demonstrate. And God, in his infamous wisdom, presented humility. He came and with the Lord's Supper, and he was willing to humble himself one more time. And humility is a part of service. And he was giving a service to the disciples. 
And he took place as he was a slave to them instead of making them a slave to him. He made it clear to the disciples that he is going to be their Lord, but he's also their teacher. And he said, if I'm going to be your teacher, I'm going to give you some last instructions before I depart. And one of them is, I'm going to wash your feet. And you're going to get to by me washing your feet. That's going to end your debate on who's the greatest. That was in Luke 22 when they were running around yelling who was the greatest. And Jesus looked at them and said, you don't understand what greatness is. It's a reversal of what you teach, what you believe, and what you try to elevate. Because the greatest is somebody that's willing to lift up others before they even lift up themselves. And I'm going to reward greater people on what they did in lifting up others instead of lifting up themselves. Right. If you really want to get into heaven, you better learn this. Who are you elevating right. besides yourself? Okay. Because that's the pure essence of what Christ came to do. He was born lower than all of us. And he lifted us all to a greater level. That's why when he sits on the right hand of God the Father and you proclaim the name of Jesus, what makes that name greater than all names is he came lower than anyone else. All right, all right. Not the Karens and the Deedees and the Essex. Those names don't propel what his name is. All right. Because we couldn't get as low as he got and do what he did. But yet, he said, if you're going to do this, you're going to have to be humble. And the thing I love about the Bible, he gives us real live people to do real live stuff. And Peter said, wait a minute, Jesus. Uh, you ain't washing my feet. Because if you're going to wash my feet, then you can't be my Lord. Right, right. And Jesus replied to him, if I don't wash your feet, right, right. then you can't be my disciple. Well, Amen. If I don't wash your feet, then you can't humble yourself to do the work that I need you to do. Right. Because what I'm getting ready to do to you, you're going to have to go out and do to others yes. so that you will be able to rise them up out of the depths of the sin of their world and humility is the ultimate task that's going to convict them of their sin and let them bow down and call upon my name. Yes, yes, yes. You got you to gotta be humble. I think the reason why the church is not being so great today it is it's more resting in human pride than it is in Jesus' humbleness. I think the reason why we got issues is because we don't want to bow down. We want to be able to, if they come at us, we're going to come back at them. We still got an eye for an eye mentality. When Jesus said, turn the other cheek. And if they take your coat, give them another. He said, don't you worry. If I'm going to take care of you, then you need to trust. Mm. I know I'm preaching to somebody. He said in verses five, one through five, that when he left heaven and came to earth, 
He also arose on his throne because his throne was waiting and being a servant makes you have to become humble. And how can a God be willing to die on a cross if he wasn't willing to humble himself for a sin that he never even did? How can a God take the cloaks off his back and take a beating for you and me with the lashes beyond recognition and then carry his cross through the streets of the city, of the streets of Jerusalem on his way to Golgotha Hill and still humble himself and look down at you and me and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they just didn't do it then. We still are doing it today. Peter recalls what it is that we got to understand that on this night with Jesus, not only did he start to change the Exodus passage where it was the Passover and then God said, put the blood on your doorpost so I can pass you by. Jesus says, no, you don't have to do that no more. But what you will have to do is this. I don't care when you do it and how often you do it. But when you look at the body and you look at the wine and you look at the bread, just remember what it is. It's a representation of me. It's symbolic of what I done did this night. On this night, when you take the bread, you take it as when you look at it as my body that was given to you in remembrance of in remembrance of in rem- put your name there because that's what you really take it like. Put your name. You don't remember him. You remember. <laughs> then he said, when you take the cup, because what I'm about to do, and you drink of it, is not the actual blood, but it's a blood that makes you humble so that you will be able to get rid of the curses off your life. He said, when you drink this blood, it's a healing process. That all your sins is forgiven. And whatever people try to do to you, whatever people try to make you remember, whatever people try to say you used to be, when you do this cup, do it with the remembrance of who I am and what I did because your sins are forgiven. He says, tonight, instead of painting the blood on the doorpost, I'm going to start painting that blood in your heart. Instead of painting that door on the blood pole, he said, I'm going to start painting it in your mind. He said, instead of burning the meat that was left over the night before, when you start to eat of my body and to eat of my bread, it's going to become a bread that you can remember and you no longer have to burn it because it's going to burn up inside of you. He said, Another instruction. Not only do I give communion and see another thing that doesn't made us become what he didn't call us to become. Communion was supposed to be fellowship like the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. Yes. He brought his disciples together and they was having fellowship. Okay. 
If you looked at pictures of the Lord's Supper, they didn't look like all sad and beat. They was over there having fun. They was laughing and giggling and telling jokes. And they were sitting there with even if some had their laps on him. And they were sitting there with the Lord's Supper. And I remember preaching a sermon just on the picture. Because I don't think we lived the way the picture was living. Because he said, the Lord's Supper is going to replace what happened on Passover. And from now on, when you do it, you should do it in communion and in fellowship with each other. The second lesson that we don't want to deal with is holiness. Mm. Holiness. He said, be holy because I am holy. When Peter didn't want to have his foot washed, then Peter was rejecting the holiness that Jesus was going to place in him to do the work. How many of you know the reason we are not trying to save more souls and doing more work? Because we ain't holy enough to do what we need to do. Because when you get holy enough, after this 40-day fast, your spirit should be stronger than your flesh. And the holiness of God should be able to touch somebody and convict somebody and deal with somebody. You didn't go through 40 days to lose weight. You didn't go through 40 days to try to act like you. You went through 40 days to get closer to here. And the closer you get to the throne, the holier. The holier you get. Yes. Oh, we just exercising, just gymnastic. You ain't gymnastic and nothing. You crucifying the flesh. Yes. And let the spirit of God reign yes. in your life. Christ made it important. Not only did he wash the feet to symbolize the cleansing. Not only did he do the blood to make sure that you understood that the blood of Christ is cleansing you uh -huh. from the sins of your life. So not only did he give, to give the, the cleansing of the blood, and not only did he do the washing you head to toe, but he also fed you with the bread to give you the yeah. eternal strength to do his glorious work. Mm -hmm. See, many of us then lost his true meaning. We just go through the motions and read the Bible and, and go through it. But each one had a divine reason. And in John, he's getting the disciples ready for that divine reason. So you got to come in communion and fellowshipping with Christ and one another. And then when he washed your feet and he telling you that I'm washing you as clean as snow. See, don't look at it the way you see it. Don't look at it the way they see it. Don't look at it the way man see it. You got to look at it from the covering of the blood of Jesus, the way the Father sees you. Because when he looks down, he sees what the blood done done. And he's declared you righteous. Then the third thing that run folk out to church. It's because we don't even understand it ourselves. All right. 
and we get all mad and disgusted and get on Facebook and start talking more. Embarrassing Christ's church when he said, hypocrites is always going to be in your church. Hypocrites is always going to be around you. Hypocrites is going to be where, why? Because I had one right there. If they was around me, what makes you think they ain't gonna be around you? I picked one. Now watch what I'm about to say. He believed in Jesus. He worshiped Jesus. He understood what Jesus was showing to be. But the problem with him was, when it came down for Jesus to do the work of the Father, then his own selfish desire well, food is what God was going to do. All right, all right, all right. Watch what I'm out here. Whatever toe I hit, hit it. Today in the church, them pews are full of folk that believe in Jesus. They even don't act like they worship Jesus. But when they don't get what they want from Jesus, the way they thought it should be, then they're going to do the same thing that, G, that Judas did. See, they're going to sit there and act like they're a part of Jesus. But deep down inside, their heart is turning to stone because Jesus didn't do what they wanted them to do because they had a preconceived notion of what he's supposed to do. He said, hypocrites going to be around you. I didn't pick him to die. But I picked him because I was hoping I could change his heart. Hypocrites is going to be around you. And you're going to have to understand, quit letting the hypocrites run you out of God's house and start standing up to the hypocrites. That's why he said that we will tear. The, the wheat and the tear will be the same. That's why he said to the pastors, you can't decide who gonna be in them pews? You take the good and you take the bad. That's why he told Peter and them, when you go fishing, you keep everything. Cause you don't know what's mine and what's not mine. They, they may be hypocrites in your mind, but they could be a child of the living God in my mind. You don't determine it, but what you do is work with them and become And don't become a hypocrite yourself. That's why the Bible says only the strong deal with spirits because they can get on you. That's why he says they gotta be careful of what you deal with, what you hang around because then you can also fall. See, you got to know what you are instead of worried about what they are. Because hypocrites is going to be in the body of Christ. And yet, he says, my church will continue on. I don't like this and I don't like that. Well, I got news for your likes and dislikes. You're not the determining factor on likes and dislikes. The determining factor is Jesus said, I put Judas right by me. He laid in my lap that day. And he knew that I was talking to him when I said Satan was going to come and it entered his body because he already went 
and talk to the people. And he said, how much you going to give me if I give you Jesus? See, he already planned it out. And he already walked through it. Oh, it's always going to be hypocrites sitting in the church. That's why I'm not worried if they come with a 357. If you're going to send me to Jesus, it's going to be because of Jesus. You can't determine when I go. You can shoot up here all you want. You can fill me up with hope. But it's the Lord's sake. See? But God says it's dangerous to be a Jew. Walking around acting like you good. It's dangerous to be a Judas and play with sin. It's dangerous to be a Judas and put off your salvation. It's dangerous to be a Judas because the Bible says he wished he was never born when he tried to repent, but his heart couldn't get right because the devil had consumed him. So quit worrying about whether a hypocrite sit in the pew next to you. Your job is to make sure you do what Christ done called you to do. Well, I'm so glad that God and his infamous wisdom, he said, not only do you gotta humble yourself, not your version, my version. My version say, lay that down and let them step over you, just like I did. Let them have their way. Whatever they take from you, don't you worry about it, because I'll give it back a hundredfold. He said, learn to be holy, because if you become holy, the power of Christ reigns in you. You can take whatever somebody say. You can take whatever they try to do to you. You can take the beats that they want to give you. You can take when the jail cell closed. You can take when they want to take your food. You can take whatever they want your money. You can take whatever they want to do. But God said, be holy because my power. Sitting at the end. It's two things at the end of John 13. One good and another hypocrite shows up. He said, this is what I say to you. Not only do you suppose to fellowship with one another and commune with one another, but you've got to love one another. And he ain't talking about that artificial stuff we do. See, we got a whole bunch of artificialness in the church. Oh, I love you if you the one with the knife in the back. He talking about a godly love. He said in the Bible, just because you love your mother and your children, Satan do that. Can you love somebody you don't know? that's sitting in the pew next to you. That's a child of a living God that is now your real brother and sister. Because your brother might not make it, but that's going to be with you in. In eternity. He said, love one another. He said, you'll know 
my disciples because they can love one another. That's the second commandment. That's what the church was built to do. See, it's easy to sit at home and love your TV. It's easy to sit at home and love your grandkids and kids. But can you go to the church and love the unlovable? Can you go to the church and raise somebody that just got off of drugs coming down the aisle saying, what can I do to be saved? But then they took it sincerely. And then you helped nurture them and grow them into what God wanted them to do. Then God starts to bless them. They used to be walking. Now they got a pinto. But God keep on blessing them. They trade the pinto in. And they get a Ford car. But God keep on blessing them. Then they get a Ford car. And they trade it in. And they get a Cadillac. Can God keep on blessing Can you love doctors? Or what God can do? Or do you look and see what they used to be? And try to keep them saying they're not worthy to do what God then called them to do. But then Jesus not only did he know what Judas was going to do but then he knew us and he had to give us an example. When he told Peter you know all of us like to be Peter. I even did it myself. But he'll test it. Lord, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And Jesus looked at him and said, on this night, before the rooster crowed three times, you're going to deny me three times. Another hypocrite comes. But when Jesus prophesies, see, he, I remember one time he told me, see, you not a, you got to, see, when you know scripture, you know who told you that. See, when you don't know scripture, you don't know who said it. But when you know scripture, you know who said it. I remember one time the Lord told me the dog will return to his own vomit. I said, Lord, you called me a dog? He said, a dog will return to his own vomit. That's scripture. So I said, oh, Jesus, I repent. I can see. Peter couldn't believe he told him that. But when he got through and he walked and he saw Jesus and he, see this is why you got to be careful of what you do to Jesus. Because that's why Jesus told Judas you're going to wish you were never born. And if you know the story, Judas ended up committing suicide. He hung himself. But Jesus told Peter you're going to deny me three times. But you know what he didn't tell Peter? The worst depression that you're going to ever experience is going to hit your life. And then you're going to go through it until I come back and rise from the dead. Peter was in a depression all that time until Jesus rose. And then when he saw the women at the, they, at the tomb, and then he told them, not only do you go tell them, but you especially go tell Peter. Because when they tell Peter, the healing power 
of Jesus is going to take him out of that depression. And Jesus going to tell him that he's healed. And Peter prayed to the tomb. And when he encountered Jesus, he said, Jesus said, Peter, Peter, now that I done got your attention, I'm going to let you do what I told you to go do. Go build my church. Go feed my sheep. Now you are humble. Now you are holy. Now you're not a hypocrite. See, we always talk about when he, when Peter preached, when Peter cut, Peter did this. Let me tell you something. After that night, when he denied Jesus three times, Peter was a new man. I bet you he didn't curse one more time because Jesus. rose him up and said now you can do the work that I need you to do and if you don't know this about Peter when it was time for Peter to die he said they was going to put Peter on the cross just like his master since he was running around preaching the gospel but Peter said no don't put me on the cross like him so they hung him on the cross upside down. But Peter went through the transformation. We all need to keep on coming through the transformation because the day is coming. We may not see it. I might be on with Jesus. But them kids you holding in your arm, don't think America ain't going to turn on you. Don't think that Jesus predicted the great apostasy. So that's why you better get them rooted and grounded in Christ. Because don't think that they're going to be running out here yelling Jesus that this world ain't going to turn on them. Sooner or later, it's gradually coming. Because I hear it every day. They say, oh, you Pastor Richardson. Well, I don't believe in Jesus. 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. And I just say to them, one day, you gonna believe and you gonna call the name of Jesus because you don't know what you're dealing with. Every knee gonna bite and every tongue. It's gonna confess that Jesus. It's Lord. Amen. I know, unfortunately, we don't get to do the Holy Week all the way through. Yes. But if we did, we would be able to do it from here. Then we could go to Gethsemane with Pastor Ed preached on the other night. When he cried out. Then when he got up and said, Thy will be done. Mm -hmm. Then he went on into the garden. And he went on and said in the Judas gave him a kiss and Peter cutting off ears and God sticking them back on and then they went on to the mocked up tribes but while Peter's over there by the fire trying to stay warm he's denying Christ and you got this mocked up trial going on and then they decide that Jesus is going to be guilty and then Jesus is going to go and tell the people and they're going to say to Barnabas who do you want to let go and they tell give us the thief 
crucify him and they're going to go and beat him for 40 lashes and then they're going to beat him beyond recognition. Then they're going to take that old rugged cross and they're going to run him down the street and up to Golgotha. Then they're going to rise him up and put him on the cross. They're going to stick the crown on his head. Not only did he bleed in Gethsemane, but this time he's going to bleed the right way. But that ain't the end of the story because then on Saturday night, He's going to descend in the hand and he's going to preach the captives free. And those that want to go, he's going to say, come on. But there's going to be some down there that say, if you're with me, I can't believe in you. Then the earth. Oh, Sunday morning. He's going to get up. But if you read John, we say he got up. With all power in his hand. But if you judge John 13, before he even had the Lord's Supper, he had already got it from the Father. Because the Father, because in John 13, it said Jesus knew. He had all things given to him. Jesus knew that everything was here. Jesus knew before he even had the Lord's Supper who he and Dr. Pierce and I had this one discussion. I'm going to let you go. See, I wish we would preach spiritually. Because that descendant, the reason why he was agonizing, it wasn't because he didn't know what he had, what, what he was going to do. It wasn't because he didn't already know he had all power. That is not what he was agonizing about. Oh, I even like preaching this. He looked in the cup and he saw your name. Oh, I love preaching that. But I can tell you what he really agonized though. If you want to know what the blood was all about, if you want to know what the tears was all about, if you want to know what he was getting ready to suffer for, Jesus was upset with one thing, and you better hear me, because Satan keep getting the people off of this. Jesus was ready. Jesus knew. But the thing he wasn't ready for, the thing that brought pain to him, that he knew that once he got started, that he was going to literally be separated from God the Father, which he never experienced in his life. I think if you see, watch this. Satan don't know it. We don't know it. Moses don't know it. No human on earth, no angel in heaven, no angel on earth have ever experienced being separated from God the Father. So when y'all hear us up here hooping, let me tell you the truth. He was getting ready because he never, nobody ever experienced. Not only did he bore the sins, but the Father turned his head. That's what he did for you and for me. So I think being humble, being holy, and living with the hypocrites, I can do it too. Amen. 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 Amen.